This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co host, Dolores Alfieri. And we have an episode today that I think Dolores and I were thrilled to be able to do because we got to interview Lydia Bastianich, which was a thrill, and she was definitely amazing. And we're really excited to bring this one to you. How are you doing, Dolores? I'm doing well, Anthony. Lydia was terrific. I mean, this is a milestone episode for the Italian American podcast, you know, to have the chance to speak to Lydia. And we talk about so many things, cooking, traditions, family. Once again, another guest who opened up to us. It's going to be a great show. Yeah, it really was a, an interview that was very much in depth about family. Towards the end of the episode, you'll hear Lydia give some amazing quotes about family. And even Dolores and I kind of went back and forth a little bit afterwards saying, you know, she captured in a couple of quotes what we've been trying to capture in, you know, 11 episodes, I think, so mm. far with the podcast. Yes, so true. So without further delay, we want to bring it to you. And before we jump into the interview, we do want to give a quick message from our official sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NEF, we see ourselves as the leaders of the Italian American community, and we work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, our work provides young Italian Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. This is Gabrielle Maletti, Director of Programs of the National Italian American Foundation. And here's what's going on in the Italian American community. Frank Sinatra Jr., the son of the legendary entertainer, died Wednesday, March 16th while on tour in Florida. Canceling his concert after reports of feeling lightheaded, he was admitted to a Daytona Beach hospital where he succumbed to a heart attack. He was 72. NIAF President and Chief Operating Officer John Viola was joined by celebrity chef David Greco of Mike's Deli, Arthur Avenue, SNL legend Joe Piscopo and Emmy Award-winning Italian-American actor Chaz Palmateri in New Orleans to celebrate St. Joseph's Day with the Italian Marching Club of NOLA. Not only did they show off their Italian pride in the parade, David Greco made a 400-pound plate of pasta con le sarde. 
Former lightweight champion and Youngstown native Ray Boom Boom Mancini will be inducted in the Nevada Boxing Hall of Fame. The induction ceremony will be held in Las Vegas in July. Italy will put forward the art of Neapolitan pizza making for inclusion in UNESCO's prestigious cultural heritage list this year after the country's UNESCO commission unanimously confirmed its candidacy, which was proposed by the government. And mark your calendars, start spreading the news, and join the National Italian American Foundation on April 28th at 6.30 p.m. for a memorable evening at the legendary Cipriani 42nd Street, celebrating our heritage at the NIAF New York Gala. NIAF will honor distinguished Italian Americans, including the new Baseball Hall of Fame inductee, Mike Piazza. Tickets are now available at www.niaf.org. And for all you young Italian-American college students, the National Italian-American Foundation is excited to announce the launch of the NEF Congressional Fellowship Program. Beginning in fall 2016, the foundation will place outstanding Italian-American college students and recent graduates in offices of members of the Italian-American congressional delegation to encourage and support the next generation of Italian-American leadership. NEAF will award five selected students or recent graduates with a stipend of $1,000. Applications will be accepted online until May 2nd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. For more information, please visit neaf.org. So thank you to John and Gabriella for that message. Dolores and I are thrilled to be members of the National Italian American Foundation for everything that they do, and the partnership with the podcast has been great. So with that, let's get into our main interview here with Lydia Bastianich. And to do that, I'm going to give you a quote from Lydia that really does capture some of the topics that we talked about in the interview. And the quote is as follows. Food, you know, tells us who we are, where we come from. It connects us. It expresses emotion. It expresses care. It expresses love. Now it's time for the main segment of our show, and I'm honored to introduce our guests for today. Lydia Bastianich is an Emmy Award-winning public television host, a best-selling cookbook author, restaurateur, co-owner of the Italian marketplace Italy, and purveyor of the best-selling artisanal Lydia's Pasta and Sauce line. Her new book, Mastering the Art of Italian Cuisine, is a compendium of techniques, recipes, and more geared to help the home chef become a great Italian chef. Lydia, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Well, pleasure being on the Italian American Podcast. Dolores and I are thrilled to get a couple minutes to talk to you here, Lydia. The Italian American Podcast is very focused on helping Italian Americans remember where they're from, remember their traditions, because unfortunately, as the generations move on, a lot of our younger Italian Americans don't really understand where they came from. And I know personally from reading a lot of your books, even your kids' books that I've read to my children, that you grew up, it was rough at times, you grew up on a farm, but you've preserved a lot of that in everything you do today, in your books and your cooking. I was hoping maybe you could talk to us a little bit about growing up and what you remember your grandmother and cooking. I was blessed and lucky to really have that opportunity because it is part of the history of the Italians and I guess of people of my age. And that is that I 
I grew up in a setting, uh, a very calm setting with grandmother, that is my maternal grandmother, and but not only the grandmother, then it was, you know, all the relatives were surrounding, the great aunt, the cousins, and so it was a very kind of secure and welcoming, if you will, courtyard. And uh, in there, you know, it was self-sufficient, grandma and the great aunts, self-sufficient as far as providing food and growing food. We had the chickens, we had the ducks, we had the goats, milked the, milked the goats for milk, made the ricotta from them, and then went to the garden, collected whatever the seasonal product was, and that was dinner or lunch. So, you know, we made olive oil, uh, even wheat. Grandma grew wheat, and then we went to the mill to mill the, the, the kernels of wheat and ultimately get flour. So, you know, going to the, to the mill with Grandma, it's, it's, you know, it's an extraordinary experience. And those are the memories that I carry with me and moving on into coming as an immigrant into America. And now, you know, as an adult, that's what I relate to. That's very much part of my roots and who I am today. So, Lydia, you feel very strongly as if you bring that tradition of that really fresh ingredients and also that very family-oriented tradition with you into your endeavors now, your restaurants, your cooking, your cookbooks. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I carried it me from the beginning. I think as we came here uh, as immigrants in 1958, I was 12. I think those memories and those food smells and tastes were actually – my connections continue to be my connection to that courtyard, to grandma, to where I come. And till this day, you know, when I cook certain foods, when certain smell, aromas come out of the, the cooking, they evoke a memory. They evoke a place and, and a story. And, uh, yeah, when I cook, I continue. It kind of resurfaces, you know, and I want to cook to get those same flavors, those flavors that I recall uh, as a child. It's a way of bringing you back there and keeping it alive. It is. It is. You know, our, our food culture is very much reflective of who we are as people. Certainly, you know, as Italians, you cook some pasta, you cook, you know, there's certain delineating factors or products that will tell right away you're Italian because you're cooking that. But it goes even beyond that. You know, Italy has 20 regions and the Italian cuisine is very regional. So if you use a lot of peperoncino in your food, chances are you are from the Calabria region. If you use uh, sauerkraut in your cooking, chances are you are either from the Trentino, very northeast, or the Friuli Venezia Giulia. So uh, even as small as Italy is comparison to other the states and so on, within that, there's 20 regions and very unique and very different and really reflects the people that live in those regions and eat that food. Right, absolutely. It's a beautiful thing about the country. Well, Lydia, I have to say, my um, parents, they came to America after they got married. They're from the small villages around Naples. And your show, of course, your uh, PBS cooking show, is the only cooking show that my mother will watch. My mother, the wonderful Italian cook, and a lot of the other old-fashioned immigrant aunts that I have, of course, you are the only cooking show they'll watch. And my mother would kill me if I don't say hello to you from her, number one. <laughs> What's her name? Her name is Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Keep on watching. Keep on cooking. 
Oh, wonderful. She said, tell her I love her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's a great pleasure for me to hear that, you know, uh, sort of first generation of of just immigrants still, these these, these women, these families that came from Italy and really hold on to tradition, appreciate what I do. And what I do is exactly what they're finding in my shows, and that is that I want to share and transport the real tradition the way it is. Now, granted, you know, food evolves like everything else and things changes. And here in the States, we have different products and all of that. But there's certain philosophy in cooking. There are certain criteria. There are certain techniques and mannerism that really reflect that culture. So I stay as much as I can true to that. Do I innovate? Do I make it more contemporary, fresh, health? Absolutely. But, you know, I do respect tradition, and I think that's what Stephanie, your mother, picks up on. Absolutely. I would absolutely agree with that. I think it's the fact that you, everything you just said, you're using the fresh ingredients, you're keeping with the tradition. And also, I think that she likes that you keep it simple, and you speak very straightforward. And she, she enjoys that. Well, uh, you know, it, that's what, what a teacher is. And I feel myself, I'm not given this this great opportunity to talk to people through PBS or my books to toot my own horns. So, yeah, I mean, that's done. You know, I, I know who I am. But get great pleasure in transferring that knowledge and in sharing with people out there. And when they look at me, they should walk away from my show, from my book, saying, I can do that. And chances are that they can do that. And so I try to be very explicit, very straightforward, very simple, because you know what? Italian food is just that. Italian food is straightforward. It's simple. It's about great products, but not elaborating too much. So, you know, the way your mother cooks or whatever, is, she focuses on buying the great ingredients, and then she follows that tradition. And the chances are that it is a straightforward tradition in preparation of those ingredients. Lydia, I just want to talk about the book for a minute. We have to talk about your new book, Mastering the Art of Italian Cuisine. For those of you listening, this is not, I would not call this a traditional cookbook. It's not, you're not just going to open it and find recipes. You're going to find, in addition to 400 recipes, Lydia, you basically go through every vegetable in the beginning of the book, what season it is, how to store it. It's such a comprehensive book. There's a dictionary of Italian words in the back, Italian and American words for the different food what made you do something that's so comprehensive like this? Well, you know, you know, some of what I've just said is that I've collected all of these. I carried on my tradition. I made sure that I was updated on the tradition, going back to Italy, finding out what's happening in Italy now. And I kind of, all the things that made me who I am that I learned along the way, I stored. You know, you store it in your mind, you store it in the computer, you store it in folders. And this is kind of the book where I bring it all out. And, uh, you know, the things, like we said before, straightforward, simple, that will make the reader or the owner of the book or the cook really be able to do, understand, number one, and do those things. And the title is Lydia Celebrating uh, the Art of Italian Cuisine. It's Lydia's. It's not just I'm here, the authority on Italian cuisine. It's actually my take. And the recipes that are there, yes, I would say that maybe more than 50 are traditional Italian recipes. But there are Italian-American recipes in there. One would not say, well, that's not really traditional Italian. It is the Italian-American. But, you know, that's part of who I am. And you know what? That's part of who a lot of Italians are here in America. Came here as immigrants, 
cook the food that they remembered with the ingredients that they found. And that's Italian-American cuisine. So in the book I have, I have the manicotti, the spaghetti meatball, the, all of these things are not so traditionally Italian, but they are Italian, part of the Italian history. And then I have also recipes that kind of innovative that I, you know, uh, we're going on with the time, the conscious use of fat, you know, pasta, we all love pasta, but we're conscious about it. Well, I, you know, I tell you, and I said, use more in the sauces that you make, use more vegetable, use more of the proteins. And instead of having 95% pasta, have 50% pasta, 25% vegetables, 25% protein, and you get a more balanced meal. So all these kind of recipes are found in the book, but also I go into the technique, the understanding. I chose some of the ingredients, vegetables and so on, that I think the American cook that wants to cook Italian maybe needed a little enlightenment. How to clean artichokes, you know, how to clean broccoli di rape, what are these things, how are they used? So it is a book that it really, it took me, and you know, I co-authored it with my daughter. She's an art historian, therefore a great researcher. We have a big glossary in the back. You know, what is the difference between an osteria and a trattoria? So this book goes way beyond just the recipes, but everything else that makes one maybe understand a bit more the culture behind those recipes. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually, we're having dinner the other night and we had olive oil on the table and I was explaining to my kids the color of the olive oil and how you could smell it. And they're like, dad, how did you learn all this stuff? And I said, I just read Lydia's new book. It tells you how to taste (laughs) olive oil. (laughs) All right. I'm glad you're sharing it with your kids. You know, that's the way it has to happen. These kids really have to understand food, where it grows. You know, what are the pure foods, the good foods for us? And once, you know, they grow, they're armed with that knowledge, all the better for them, uh, you know, in nourishing themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard you before talk about interviews, you know, with kids menus at restaurants and stuff like that. And it's like, we try to integrate the kids right away into the vegetables right from the early on. And I think it's really important. And you also touched on that in the book as well. And and one thing that I just want to drop in here real quick is to mention Lydia's restaurant, Felidia, which is in New York City on 58th Street. Lydia, I went to your restaurant a few weeks ago, and I got to tell you, the chocolate ravioli, mamma mia. <laughs> oh, you like that, huh? I think those oh. were around Valentine's Day, so you must have been kind of that extra little special treat for Valentine's Day. We had it around that time. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was so good. The octopus was amazing, and the burrata cheesecake was just to die for. Oh, God, you got all the good stuff. <laughs> But, you know, if your listeners want to, uh, because we have other restaurants, it's just the website, LydiasItaly.com. They'll get all the menus of all the restaurants, and so they'll know uh, where I'm at. Wonderful. And we'll um, link to that in our show notes, of course, so our listeners can easily access it. So, Lydia, these days, pretty much everyone knows your name. You have so many things going on, shows, restaurants. You have a line of food products. You're involved in Italy, of course, so there's lots of things going on. But your beginning years were, of course, a struggle, and your family went through a lot in order for you to get to America and, of course, become the extremely successful woman and successful family that you are because, of course, all of your endeavors are really a family business. In getting ready for this show, I came across a quote that, that's at least attributed to you. 
you say, I am the perfect example that if you give somebody a chance, especially here in the United States, one can find the way. And it really struck me because that sounds to me very much like the experience of my own parents, of course. And I know for our listeners as well, you know, whose parents or grandparents, they were the ones who really struggled and sacrificed so that we could have the lives that we have today. And I was just hoping you could talk a little bit about, you know, the gifts that America really gives to us as Italian-Americans. It's extraordinary, the opportunity that uh, I had and my family had. You know, I don't think I could have achieved this anyplace in the world as just a normal human being. But being an immigrant, we were brought here by the Catholic Charities. We had nobody here. They set us up first in a little hotel. Then they found a job for my father. They found a, a little house for us. So, you know, and they would feed us. We would go to the social worker once a week until we got settled. So not so unlikely like the immigrants today, that given the opportunity, we were being taken care of. But the only thing I can remember, we were, I was 12, so, you know, it was education as far as my brother and I, you need to get educated. This is America. And so we did. But there was, you know, we need to form a life security for my children. We need to work. We need to save money. We need to get a little house. All those necessary things just for a normal life and the building blocks, one by one, that my parents' hard work, you know, and my mother would work overtime, come home six, seven, eight at night. I would help, you know, to make dinner, put dinner on the table. We were all involved in this kind of reaffirming our life, restarting our life. And uh, the opportunity is here, was here. And I am forever grateful and I truly appreciate the fact because I am the example, and I want to be that example. I want to be seen that this was, can be done in America. You come with a desire to be free, to live, to feed your children, to have a home. This is what the Italian immigrants, and for that matter, most immigrants come with. They came here. They worked so hard. They were so economical, and they kept to the values of a family. And that was a great base for my brother and I. My brother went on, got a PhD. He is in computers. I mean, has more than 40 patents for IBM. And, you know, I did my college degree. I was going to go into the sciences. Then I, you know, my passion was food. And I was reverted. I met my husband, who was in the food industry, and that's how we opened. So great educational base. My children, Tanya and Joe, they grew up in the restaurant uh, business. And, uh, you know, I told them, education, education, education. And uh, they as well. But then they chose to come back into our family business. My son, master's in business, went to Wall Street, worked two years, came back and worked in the restaurant. My daughter ultimately got her PhD from Oxford, Renaissance Art History. She's working. She's authored this book with me, great researcher. She works with me in my production. So America... It's a, a fantastic place. As much as I am Italian, I love Italy. I equally love America, and I'm equally American because this is my home now, and this is where I really, uh, my family got the opportunity to be free, to live comfortable, and for a great education. You know what's so wonderful about listening to you talk about you know, your success and the business is you really can't talk about that without talking about your family. 
I think that that's so as American as we all are, right? There, as Italian Americans, there really is that huge part to our lives and our experience. I mean, I remember growing up, the way my what we called, you know, our American friends were with their families was so different than the way I was with mine. And the way you describe even your early years with your nuclear family, and then of course now with your children, it sounds like you guys were a team. You were a team. You were a group that worked towards this success. Well, you see, you you have to, you know, our family. I think that's part of being Italian. And uh, you know, when I listen to the stories of different immigrants coexisting with Italian family, everybody talks about of different ethnicity talks about going to my Italian friends. Right. Yes. There was something <laughs> on the table every time. There was food for everybody every time, and you always felt welcome. You know, I think that's part of being Italian. You know, the the communal the family. There's this nucleus. You know, the family first, but then also the community, the little town nucleus, and you're there to support each other. And I think you know, especially now in this volatile world. That is ever more important and necessary. And I can't stress enough how important it is for children again. And you know what? Food and that table, good food and preparation of that table is the magnet that pulls everybody together. So, yes, you know, I can't talk without talking about my family. And that's the way it's been. And that's the way I preach it. I understand. And, you know, the reason Anthony and I do this podcast is is so much because of everything you just said. It is a volatile world. In America, especially, there's so many great things, but we can also feel very isolated from each other. Community is harder to come by. Living in the same place as your family is harder to come by. So we really try and put this podcast together as a way for Italian-Americans to really still feel that community. Yeah. I want to add to that, and that is that doing that, getting everybody together, it's an effort. Mm, it really right. is, uh, for all the reasons that you just said. And But, you know, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. It's, you know, we need to. And, you know, that table, cook a good meal. Maybe it's just on the holidays. Continue. And I think, again, today's world, where everybody is in this isolated little screen in front of their eyes, whether it's an iPod or an iPhone or whatever, we're living an ever more solitary life, and we need the table, I think, and cooking, and this re-interest in cooking, I feel it's an antidote mm. to that screen, to that being alone. So ever more, we need to nourish ourselves. And, you know, Italian food is the food of choice in America. It is the number one ethnic cuisine. I really love that you just said that, Lydia. I find that the older I get, of course, as an Italian-American woman, the more I realize that it is work. Somebody has to do it. Tradition, keeping the family together, keeping these things alive, they don't just happen on their own. And all the work my mother did and all the aunts that I you know, grew up with, we had these big dinners, it was a lot of work for them. But they did it to keep the family together because they knew if they didn't do it, it wasn't going to happen. To nurture the belly and nurture the soul mm. and nurture the family togetherness. Absolutely. This episode is uh, publishing on Easter Day, so we'd ask you a little bit about it. If you could talk about some Easter traditions or some Easter recipes that you might want to share with our listeners. Well, you know, I think that in most cultures where the tradition and the culture of the food and the table really 
shines and comes out is the holiday times, you know. And whatever your religion is, that is when food and the food of the tradition, of the religion, of the family comes out. And, of course, our next big holiday is Easter. In a sense, as far as religion, it is a somber holiday, but it is spring. And, you know, I think that the rebirth of everything that's growing, that's what I recall, you know, as a young, you know, the scallions uh, were just sprouting, so was the garlic. The peas were the eggs, you know, the chickens were laying more eggs. So, you know, what are the tradition? What I recall really was, you know, the, the use of eggs. I remember... And the making of a bread, would, would you call it panettone or whatever, or pinza, is this, this kind of uh, eggy, sweet bread, but not overly sweet. Some had raisin, and, you know, in some places, I guess it's panettone, but it's the desserts. The desserts certainly carry and reflect the season and Easter. So we had this pinza, we used to call them this bread, and we used to knead it with grandma. The grandma would make a pupa, which is like a little doll out of this dough, it would braid it. And as a head, he would embed a colored egg in and then surround it with the dough, put a little cross of dough over it, and then make the body by making a braid of the bread itself. So, uh, you know, I, I always recall that, and I still make it for my kids. But, you know, uh, lamb, yeah. roasted lamb, cassata, braised uh, legumes, uh, peas, uh, favas, all of those things, prosciutto. You know, I recall that we used to go to mass Easter Sunday, Grandma would take it. And what she would do in kind of, you know, almost the checkered tablecloth sort of thing, the kitchen towel, she would put in there a boiled eggs, scallions, a piece of bread, a little prosciutto, and she would tie it almost like in in a beggar's purse, and we would go to church. At the end... All the ladies would go up to the altar, and on, on the where you kneel in front of the altar, they would open up their own little beggar's purse, and the priest would bless it. Wow. And then we would tie it back up, go back home, and the first thing that we ate is that beggar's purse was opened on the table. Grandma put some salt, and we ate the boiled egg, the bread. We dunked the scallions a little bit in the salt and a little bit of prosciutto. And that was almost like a, like a pagan ritual, if you will, I think, you know, thanking, thanking God for fertility and the eggs and more food, thanking God for the fertility of the land with the scallions, the salt, the basic element of the salt. And it was all blessed. And that's how we began our Christmas Day. Wow, that's a beautiful story. I hope all of you listening will you know, share in some food, some lamb, whatever your family cooks, and also share in some good wine. I know my, my father-in-law, Brian Liddy, he loves on your show how you talk about the wine and the pairings and a whole other beautiful part of Italy, which is also you talk about in your book, the wines and the grapes, and, and that you helped your, I guess, grandfather make the wine, right? Well, you know, they, they as I said, you know, we made everything. They made everything, the olive oil in November, the, the wine in September. As kids, you were part of all of that. You know, you got involved. You went actually in the vineyard. You helped to kind of harvest some of the varietals. And they would come with a big barrel, and they would throw all these harvested grapes. And us kids would jump in the barrel on the way home because <laughs> it was a horse-drawn cart that would take all of this back to the cantina. And we would jump and mash the grapes in the barrel on our way home and sing and, you know, have fun. Oh, my goodness. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good memories, good memories. Huh? Of course. I don't know if you can find those today, but, you know, there's other things to make memories of today. 
Lydia, did your family make wine when you came to the States as well? Well, my father did, you know, in the cantina, yes. I even myself made it. You know what I did? I didn't make it last year, but the year before vinegar, because I appreciate homemade wine vinegar. So I myself order a few cases of the grapes from California, then mash them up, let them ferment, let them ferment all the way and get into the vinegar phase. Oh, really? Okay, that's tasty. Yeah. We still make homemade wine with my family as well, so... I know that my mother takes some of it and lets it sit for a while to make vinegar with it as well. Exactly. Can't get better than that. So can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to go into the restaurant business? Because you really had a success with your, your very first restaurant, Buena Villa, in Queens. And from there, it just kind of kept going. Right. Well, you see, food was always, and I loved cooking. I loved while my mother would work late and whatever, I would work, prepare, help prepare the meals. You know, I was good at it. It kind of uh, recalled memory, and it really was good. And then uh, when I was 14, actually, going to school, looked for a part-time job, began looking for a part-time job. You know, I lied because you couldn't work until you were 16, but I was a big girl, and the first job that I got was as a sales girl in Walken's Bakery, Christopher Walken's uh, father had bakery. Mm. You know, I sort of throughout my school years always gravitated in food establishment as that little kind of pocket, making some money for self, you know, expenses, whatever I needed. From there, when I went uh, to New York to Hunter, I became, you know, waitress. But inevitably, whenever I was in a restaurant and uh, whether it was a sales girl or waitress, I ended up in the back. If somebody came and they were missing a cake, I would go back and finish it off. If uh, somebody came in late and wanted a plate of pasta, the chef was gone, I would go in the back. And, I, and so I kind of gravitated. But then ultimately, I met my husband who was, he was an immigrant as well, and he was in the restaurant industry. He was a maitre d'. And I think maybe the love of food kind of pulled us together. Mm. And he had wanted to, so we got married and whatever. He had wanted to open a restaurant forever. So I was uh, uh, 24 when he actually decided to open the first restaurant. And, um, you know, he was looking for a partner. But I said, you know what? I'll help you. And uh, I did, but I wasn't a chef. We hired a chef and I became the sous chef. And then for 10 years, I worked alongside of that chef and really honed my profession. Went back to Italy, went to school for cooking, and so on and so forth. And uh, so Bonavia, the first one, was actually we had a chef, an Italian-American chef. I assisted him. And you know what I did? What I did while he was doing a lot of the Italian-American stuff, I began putting, inserting in the menu risottos and polentas, all of these things that maybe weren't as known here. And that's how I realized that people are really ready for traditional Italian food from Italy. And that's how I began to get my recognition for these different kind of really authentic regional dishes that I was cooking. Ah, that makes sense. Okay. So what is the special thing that you think you and your family bring to these restaurants, especially that have made them so successful? There's a special touch. I mean, maybe it's what you just said, the, the real traditional aspect. I think it's many things. I think eventually now people really trust us. And let me tell you, on our behalf, it's a big commitment to live up to the trust, to make sure mm. that we deliver what they expect, what we promise. But what do we deliver? I mean, you know, a restaurant is totality of many different elements. It, it needs to be a comfortable place. 
it needs to be a place where the customers feel comfortable. The food needs to be good. The food needs to be honest. No trickery, you know, good products, simple products. And it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, a lot of times, they say, oh, it has to be expensive to be right food. No. You know, you do a good spaghetti, garlic, and oil, and that's not expensive, but it's difficult to do a good because it's so simple. So I think that's what, you know, we address, I think, the recipes and everything, straightforward, traditionally, and really the way it is supposed to be. Uh, and, you know, another one is um, value. You know, you need to also, because it is commercial setting and the customers that come in need to feel that they get value for what they pay. And value is measured in service, in welcoming, and ultimately in the food and the quantity of the food. So, Lydia, you mentioned the spaghetti. No olive oil in the water when you're cooking pasta, right? No, 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 no. No, because, uh, no. You don't want the spaghetti coated with the olive oil because then the sauce will not adhere to it. Neither do you want to rinse the spaghetti. You know, the old saying, you throw the spaghetti to the wall and if it stick, it sticks, it's done. But, you know, that's true to that. You want a little bit of, of stickiness on, this, on the pasta where the sauce will adhere and if you rinse it or if you add oil, that will be diminished. And no breaking the spaghetti either. No, 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 no. I a lot of Americans say, you know, no, no, no. You've got to uh, roll those spaghettis on that fork and then you've got a mouthful, which is feels good. Are there any other things off the top of your head you can think that Americans are doing with spaghetti or pasta or any kind of Italian food that you just really wish they would stop doing right now? <laughs> uh, well, I think certainly over overcooking it. Ah. And, you know, and... Uh, I would suggest that, okay, Italians like it al dente, which is, you know, a texture issue where you bite into it and you get a little bit of resiliency. And uh, if you cook your spaghetti, it really slap, it's slippery, it, it doesn't have any taste. Now, cooking spaghetti al dente, you know, you look at the, at the box and we'll tell you most likely, but, you know, taste it. Pull out a strand or pull out a ziti or whatever and taste it. And when it is that you're liking pull it out. And that's that. You know, al dente is not only is it sort of texture-wise pleasant, but it is nutritional. It really nutritionally makes sense. Because if you eat a bowl of spaghetti that's completely cooked and the starches are ready to disintegrate in your stomach and become sugars, Mm. then of course that your glycemic index will jump up and throw your body out of balance. But if you have spaghetti that's al dente, it is slowly broken down in your stomach. So it's not that all at once surge. It is released slowly. So it is healthier to have al dente pasta, to eat al dente pasta. Ah, that's amazing to hear. I never thought of that, but it it absolutely makes sense. I always just knew that that's how you did it, and it tastes better that way. And my father wouldn't touch a bowl of pasta if it wasn't al dente. So (laughs) that's just what you learn. Well, Lydia, Anthony and I are so grateful that you've given us so much of your time. And this has been such an exciting treat for us to be able to speak with you. And we do want to wrap up and, and of course, let you go. I'd like to kind of end on bring us back to the note of tradition, which, of course, is so important to all of us. And I know to our listeners, and we've talked a little bit about this. We've touched on it right now. But we know that tradition and the passing down of tradition, of course, is such an important thing for you. Could you please give our listeners, you know, many of who are removed, you know, several generations from that original immigrant ancestor who came here, could you give them some wisdom as to how in this day and age they can 
live and preserve and pass down those traditions? You know, again, it needs to be a conscious uh, effort and desire to do so. And I would say to begin within the family. You know, where are those ants? You know, visiting more of those ants, mm. sitting down at the table with the cousins and aunt, and kind of reminiscent, retasting things, taking down notes, searching out those family recipes that are there. And, you know, go beyond that. You know, where are your roots in Italy from? You know, other Campania, other Puglia. And then go and do research on those uh, regions where you come from. Uh, look at the recipes. You will have most likely recall memories of some of the things that your parents choose those recall memories and those recipes and make them again. You know, I mean, research, read, if possible, travel, go, go and visit, go to the town. You know, even if you think you have nobody, use the last name to permeate the town. Chances are that you will find cousins there, even if you're second or third generation removed. So, you know, it's a want to really get to know more and ultimately it's the effort of rediscovering. Beautifully said. Wonderful. Lastly, Lydia, why is it important to do all that? Well, because I think it just makes you richer mm. emotionally. It makes you a more complete person. It gives you security. You know, it is your roots. It's your identity. It's like genealogy. It is who you are. It's part of the matrix that makes you the person that you are. So I think it's like, especially for young people, it's like a tree. If you have deep roots, if you, you know, you know your roots and a hurricane comes in your life, the tree with long roots will you survive that hurricane, will, you know, withstand it. Whereas you have short roots, the chances are that you'll be toppled by the hurricane. Wow, that's that's just beautiful and, and a great way for us to, to end up here with Lydia. If you want to check out everything that Lydia is doing, all you have to do is go to lydiasitaly.com. Her new book is Lydia's Mastering the Art of Italian Cuisine, Everything You Need to Know to Be a Great Italian Cook. Over 400 recipes. The book is beautifully done, and it gets into a lot of the stuff that we talked about here with Lydia. Lydia, thank you so much for doing this, and we wish you and your family a very happy Easter. Buona Pasqua a tutti. All right, now it's time for the Italian-American Stories segment. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our relatives. In today's segment, I'm going to play for you an audio clip from a visit to my grandma's on Holy Thursday, where we did some of the cooking for Easter Sunday. And again, it's just to kind of share some of my traditions with you, but also to get you thinking about your traditions, thinking about your past. And really the reason that I want to do this too is to, of course, learn about the traditions, the recipes, and be able to bring that on to my kids and so on and so forth. So before we roll that clip, I'd like to thank today's sponsor of the Italian American Stories segment, which is Select Italy. Select Italy designs custom itineraries and books and a whole range of products and services, including fascinating tours, romantic wedding or honeymoon trips, along with ticketing services for museums and musical events in Italy. Visit selectitaly.com to learn more, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them at the end of this segment. All right, so I'm just leaving my grandmother's apartment. I came here today 
because what we do in our family is, you know, with Easter Sunday always being a little bit crazy with the big families, some people are with their in-laws, some people aren't around. We've been doing something on Easter Saturday for many years, just getting the family together, good food, celebration. And so what I did this year is I came here because, you know, my grandmother's getting old. She's 88. Her parents originally came from Sarno and Salerno, Italy. My grandfather's going to be 90. His parents came from Sicily. And, you know, she's not going to be able to be cooking for Easter Saturday forever. So I wanted to come. I wanted to learn the recipes. I wanted to help her. I wanted to see how it was done so that we can keep carrying on the traditions. And really, the reason that we're playing this in this segment is because we just want to kind of encourage you to do the same. And I'm not going to play a lot of the audio here, but just a few minutes of sitting down with my grandma and grandpa for lunch, just so you could hear some of the things that we talked about a bit. But I just really to encourage you to try to, you know, keep your traditions going however you can. If you have your grandparents, visit them, talk to them about the past. I spoke to them for about a half an hour today about their childhood again. And enjoy it. Enjoy the clips. So his mom, you know, so his family from Sicily, yours is from yeah. Naples, but they were probably she's, similar food or no? Make, no, different, different altogether. Different altogether, okay. Altogether different. Just to make the Sicilian pies, just to roll out the crust. Yeah. And then she used to put... Uh, uh, onions and capers. The Sicilian people use a lot of capers. Capers, okay. Yeah. Does your mom cook a lot of fish or no? Yeah. Well, not, I well Sicilian, right? They, I, they didn't make too much fish. I had to knock her down, but she was the worst cook in the world. Oh, his mom was the worst cook. And he'll agree with that. Yeah. We used to go on Sunday, she used to have a little pot on the stove, like a pastina pot. Yeah. With a little bit of gravy and two meatballs. She said, stay for dinner. You know what it was? She went to business all her life. Yeah. She went to business all her life. So she really wasn't a cook. Because she worked, you're saying. Oh, yeah, she worked. Yeah, she used to work. She, worked. she was she a worked. seamstress or what? She worked on men's suits. Yeah. But your mom, your mom was a good cook, right, Graham? Oh, ask him. Grandma's mom was a good cook? Good cook yeah. yeah. She was the best. Yeah. She was the best. Yeah. You know, sometimes you... Please, please. Nobody wants it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Eat it. Okay. Um, oh, you know what I'm going to make tonight? You've never had it. Um, tomato sauce. Yeah. Marinata. Yeah. Put it in the bottom of the frying pan. Yep. Not soaking deep. Just enough to cover the pan. Okay. Warm it up nice and hot. Then get two eggs for Grandpa, two eggs for me. Break it and put it on top of the sauce. Oh, yeah? So it cooks on the sauce? And then put it in the oven on broil and let the eggs cook. Then you get a big chunk of Italian bread with the sauce and the egg. It is delicious. We came a long way since your parents came here, huh? Oh, we certainly came a long way. When we first got married... Uh, Mrs. Peranio, your grandmother, she gave us $500 as a wedding gift. And then what happened during the war, there was such a shortage of apartments. And we got an apartment, but we had to give the damn landlord $500 under the table to get the apartment. So then we lived in a little apartment. We paid $48 a month. Grandpa was working, yeah. and I was working. In fact, I was making $47 a week. And then Grandpa worked for a Jewish man, 
and it was a complete Jewish firm. Mm -hmm. And he was the only Christian. And they loved him. They used to call him Saul. Oh. And one day he, uh, he called me up in the office and he said, uh, Joe, we're going to get into Plumbers Union. I said, no kidding. I said, what's it going to cost us? He said, $500. I said, where are we going to get $500? He says to me, to him, give me $5 a, a week. He never even gave him one $5 a week. He says, forget about it. He gave him Grandpa the $500? And he $500? gave it to Grandpa. His boss? His boss. Wow. That's yep. nice. I hope you enjoyed that clip of my grandmother and I cooking and preparing the Easter meal. And we have gotten some really nice emails from some of you out there. And we will be reading some of them on the next episode about how the podcast has brought back memories for you and have inspired you to do genealogy research. We've got some really interesting emails and we're definitely going to share them. And we want you to either keep sending them in or go to our website at italianamericanpodcast.com and click the button on the right side to record your own story that should be about three minutes or so long, and then we can play it on the air. So with that, let me once again recognize our sponsor, Select Italy. We're appreciative of them. They do help us to keep this show for free, and it's great to have their support. Select Italy is the ultimate source for travel to Italy and offers a wide array of superior Italian travel products and services, including customized itineraries, fascinating tours, romantic getaways, unique and fun culinary classes, yacht charters, transportation, hotel reservations, villa bookings, tickets for museums and musical events, and more. They've got everything. Pretty much everything you need for optimum travel to Italy is possible with Select Italy. Their helpful travel planners in Chicago, New York, and Shanghai are always ready to give the best advice on when and where to visit, while the Florence support staff is there to help should you need anything while you're in Italy. They're always eager to introduce their clients to great new destinations. The company has expanded its offerings and travel services to the Balkans with the launch of Select Croatia. Visit SelectItaly.com and SelectCroatia.com. All right, so I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Italian American Podcast. I hope you have a very, very happy Easter with your family. I'm going to kick it over to Dolores and she's going to tell you how you can connect with us and keep this conversation going. Yes, Anthony. But before I do that, I'm going to ask our listeners that if you like the show to please consider leaving a review on iTunes, it really helps us to get the word out about the show so that more of our fellow Italian Americans can join us. So with that, you can also find us on Instagram at Italian American on Twitter at ITALAmerican, I-T-A-L American, and on Facebook at Italian American Podcasts. Buona Pasqua!